Hello and greetings from Seattle, New York Rangers fans. This is the New Ice City Podcast, episode number 90. I am your host, Vincent Mercagliano of the USA Today Network. It's a little bit chilly here in Seattle, but I just got back from eating a nice, warm bowl of pho. I actually said pho to the waitress, and she corrected me and said pho, so... Uh, I think I'm getting it right now with the beef in it and the hot broth, and it's great on a chilly day like this. It's like in the 40s right now in Seattle. The locals actually tell me it's typically a little bit colder at this time of year, so I guess we're here on a warm front, but it does feel colder than what it was in New York, especially if you go back about a week ago when it felt like spring in New York, but that's a whole different story. This, for me, is my first time in Seattle, enjoying the experience so far. I appreciate all of the restaurant recommendations from the fans on Twitter. Last night, when I was flying in and solicited some, got quite a few responses. Also spoke to another reporter out here. You guys know Ryan Clark. He's been on the podcast before. Got some good recommendations from him. We have a a nice dinner reservation for tonight. Want to make sure that I eat a lot of seafood While I'm here, because you know it's fresh, sushi for sure is going to be on the menu at some point tonight, going to a seafood restaurant on the water with Molly Walker and Colin Stevenson. You guys know them from the beat. So enjoying the city, walked around a lot today. I think I've walked like almost four miles so far. So definitely getting my steps in, definitely checking out the city. Got my first look at Climate Pledge Arena, which is really, really cool. I actually got a little bit of history on the arena where the Seattle Kraken play in. The arena itself actually dates back to like the early 60s, but they've completely renovated and refurbished it and made it basically a brand new arena for the Kraken to play in. And it's got a lot of really cool quirks. One of my favorites is that on one end of the arena, there's windows that you can see in from the sidewalk. So you could actually stand at those windows on the sidewalk and watch a game without having to buy a ticket. Now, you're, you're pretty far away, but I understand you can you can see the game for the most part from that view. And it's just a really cool quirk to the arena that I haven't really seen in many other places. So that, that's definitely pretty neat. And, and a lot of stuff about the arena is just, you know, brand spanking new and sharp and And it's definitely got some character to it. So it was cool to walk around there today. The Rangers will play the Kraken on Thursday night. It'll be, I think, 7 o'clock local time, 10 o'clock for all of you back in New York. And and the Kraken are actually playing pretty well. So this should be a pretty good test for the Rangers. As for what we're going to get into on this week's episode, I don't want to forget close to the top here to mention just hanging out in the locker room today, ended up sitting down with Jimmy Vesey and decided to record a little podcast segment with him, came up with some questions kind of on the fly. I wrote a couple down and came up with some others on the fly for him. It's not a typical hockey interview. I'm going to write about Jimmy. I already have a few times this season and how he's fitting in with the team and coming back after bouncing around with a few other organizations in the last few years. I think I think Vesey has been a really solid addition for the Rangers. Now, over the course of the full season, is he going to be a top-line guy for them? I think there's a legitimate question about that. But 
As far as adding depth to this lineup and doing a variety of different things, we talked a lot about the PK ability when the Rangers first signed him, but it goes beyond that. He's chipped in some offense. He's been really good defensively. I I think he's added to this roster in a lot of positive ways so far, but I didn't really get into any of that with Jimmy. This interview is going to be a little bit off the rails. We're going to touch on his upbringing, his hockey journey, who his biggest influences are, the teams that he grew up watching and rooting for. Many of you know that he's from the Boston area. And we talked some fun stuff where we got into quirks about different teammates and and who falls into what category and that sort of thing. So we'll get to that interview with Jimmy VC in just a little bit. Definitely a fun one and definitely something I'll try to incorporate every so often if I have free time and not working on something else that day and can grab a player and sort of do these informal little segments where we, we try to have a little fun with them. That was my main goal in that interview with Jimmy. So what else has happened since we last spoke? My, my mind is a little bit scrambled from the time zone change right now, but I, I'm trying to adjust quickly. Went to bed fairly early last night on Tuesday after we got in. Woke up about 7 o'clock local time, which is nice because you get a good start to the day. Got the gym, got some walking, all, all that kind of stuff. But as far as the Rangers go, there have been three games since we last recorded a podcast. The first one was last Thursday in Detroit. And many of you will remember that was that was really a third period explosion for the Rangers who beat the Red Wings 8-2 in that game. You kind of wondered after that, like, is this them coming out of their shell? They've struggled to score for stretches this season. And then all of a sudden they explode with six goals in that third period against the Red Wings. And it felt like a turning point for them, or at least it could be a turning point for them. But we also see a lot of times that momentum does not necessarily carry over from one game to the next. That's something that we've heard Gerard Gallant say repeatedly in his time here in New York. And I think in a lot of instances, it's true. And what happened in the Rangers next game on Saturday when they went to Nashville? Well, They fell short. They fell flat. They flat out could not score enough in that game, even though they dominated possession. They nearly doubled the shot total for the Predators. It looked like they were in control for a lot of that game, but they just couldn't break through. And this has happened a handful of times this season where it just seems like these scoring chances that the Rangers are getting aren't converting to goals as often as they should be. We can talk a little bit about the quality of those chances versus the quantity. I had a conversation with somebody about this during the week, kind of wondering, are the Rangers becoming a high-volume shooting team? We've heard Gallant say it repeatedly. We've heard players say it repeatedly. We've heard fans in the stands shouting for this team to shoot. They always had that tendency, at least in recent years, to go for the extra pass, maybe make one too many passes and miss what we felt like were some scoring opportunities that they should have been able to cash in on. But now it seems like they are pulling the trigger more on these shots. You just have to wonder, are they finding the best quality chances with this increase that we've seen in putting pucks to the net? I don't know. I don't want to sit here and say that it's a bad thing that they're putting more pucks to the net and they're getting more shots off. 
but you also want to see it leading to more goals. And it was definitely a frustrating night for them in Nashville where they lose two to one. Then another game that was completely different. All these past three games have all had totally different characteristics. They come home on Sunday to play the Arizona Coyotes. And granted, they had played three games in four nights at that point. That was the third out of four nights. And they had done a lot of traveling. It feels like very, I don't want to say unfair, unfortunate, I guess, for them that they've had so many of these three out of fours early on in the season. I, I think they've had at least three of them that I can remember through the first month or so of the season. And listen, they're professionals, and a lot of the players don't want to make the excuse. Galant said, I don't want to make the excuse as well, but he has brought it up a couple times, and and it's fair. It's valid. I, I think for us as, as writers and for you guys as fans who observe it, you can tell, especially on Sunday, the Rangers looked like a team that had heavy legs. I, I know many people probably don't want to hear that, but they were slow. They were flat-footed. They looked, I think Glantz said stale, which I thought was a pretty good way to put it. They just flat out for the first half of that game got completely outplayed. I think, to me, that was the worst stretch of hockey that I've seen the Rangers play all season. They had no business being on the ice with the Coyotes of all teams for roughly the first 30 minutes of that game. I think there was a point where they were being outshot 16 to 2 or 16 to 3 something like that it was just a domination and and they had no puck possession no sustained offensive zone time at all in the first half of that game and you're sitting there kind of thinking well this does not look like it's going to turn out well for them except for the fact that Igor Shesterkin keeps them in the game definitely had one of his better games of the year in that And then all of a sudden they wake up and it wasn't like they woke up and and started peppering them with scoring chances or all of a sudden started making these great skillful plays. They kind of got a little lucky. Barclay Gaudreau ends up with the puck in the slot, which quite frankly, the Coyotes misplayed twice. I think it went off a defenseman's skate and then the goalie pretty much passed it to Gaudreau, who gets a great chance from the slot and converts it. So kind of a lucky break for the Rangers there, and then they get a couple more breaks like that, and the next thing you know, they end up winning the game 4-1. to one. So the final score looks great, but any anybody who watched that game comes away from it saying, how the heck did they win this game when they played that poorly for such a long stretch of it? it it's hard to make sense of, quite frankly. I, I've, I've asked players about this in the last few days, like, how do you guys make sense of losing a game like you did in Nashville where you definitely look like the better team And then winning a game like you did against Arizona, where, quite frankly, you looked like you played like crap. And multiple players have just been like, you know what? You're right. I I don't really know how to make sense of this. I I tweeted some of these stats the other day, and I I included them in my story. But I think it bears repeating because I I looked this up. I I spent like, I don't know, five, ten minutes making sure I had all this stuff right. And it kind of blew my mind. The Rangers have played 17 games so far this season. They've outshot their opponents in 11 of those 17 games. So more often than not, the Rangers are winning the shots on goal battle. But out of those 11 times when they've outshot their opponent, they've only won five. That's less than 50% of the games when they're out shooting their opponents, they're getting wins. That alone is kind of mind-boggling. But then consider this. 
They've been outshot, that leaves us, in six games, right? Out of those six games in which they've been outshot, they've come away with at least a point in five of them. So they're finding ways to either win or at least get a point in these games where they're on their heels and they're being outshot. And yet when they seem to be in control, they're not winning very often. So it's, it's again, it's like a weird thing. You feel like eventually it should even itself out, but it is an interesting quirk about this team through the first month or so of the season. One thing I will say on that, that I think there is some truth to, and I thought this was an interesting tidbit that I took away from talking to Igor Shosturkin after that Arizona game on Sunday. He talked about how much he likes seeing shots early in the game. The Coyotes had 17 shots on goal in the first period alone on Sunday. And quite frankly, they weren't a lot of high danger scoring chances, at least not in my opinion. I don't think that they registered as high danger too many of them, but even just from watching, it didn't look like they were really high quality opportunities for the Coyotes. A lot of them were from the perimeter. A lot of them were outside shots. And I think for Igor, he likes that. If he gets to make a handful of easy saves early in the game, see the puck, build a little momentum, build some confidence for himself early on, I think it has this snowball effect where he becomes tougher and tougher to beat the more of those saves he's able to accumulate early in the game. And he made mention of that after that game against the Coyotes. And if you think back to last season, we were constantly scratching our head about, wow, this team is finding ways to win these games when analytically they didn't look good. The shot totals were rarely in their favor. They looked like they were being outplayed a lot of the time, but of course, Igor stood on his head and carried them for these long stretches. And you kind of think back to that and you think about what Igor said the other day and you start to feel like, well, maybe in some ways this, as much as you don't want to play that way, these instances where the Rangers are being outshot but Igor is getting to see a lot of pucks early in the game. Some ways that works out for the Rangers a lot of the time. It's not a long-term winning formula. I don't think you want to get in the habit of just asking your goalie to do everything and, and letting everybody else get, get outplayed for the entire game. But it is something interesting to think about. Igor flourished last year when he saw those heavy workloads and he seemed to benefit from it as well the other night against Arizona. So, Maybe that explains a little bit about why these numbers are lopsided when we talk about games that they're outshot versus games when they win the shots on goal battle. So a little food for thought there that I found interesting coming out of that Arizona game. I do think I will say, and this goes back to a lot of those opportunities for the other team coming from the perimeter, I think the Rangers defense has been better of late. I don't think they've had quite as many turnovers that lead to odd man rushes. I think they've been doing a better job of protecting the net front and protecting the crease, which was an issue for them, I thought, early on in the season. Analytically, you look at a lot of the expected goal rates on various sites. The Rangers still rank as one of the better teams in the league. So there's still a lot of positive trends here. The, the thing that I keep coming back to, though, that you really want to see them clean up and get better at if you're going to look at them as a true contender is the five-on-five -five offense because it continues to be an issue. You have a game like that game in Detroit where they break out, but it has not been consistent enough. It hasn't been nearly consistent enough. And that's something 
that when Gerard Gallant the other day was asked to evaluate his team through these first 17 games, that seemed to be the biggest issue that he had as well, is that at five on five, you're just not seeing consistent enough results. You're seeing shot totals. You're seeing expected goal rates that are pretty good. But ultimately, what matters is putting the puck in the back of the net. And the Rangers haven't done enough of that at five on five. So if I have a concern at this point, I would say that's probably right near the top of the list. The Rangers are still, I think, not sure about what the right combination is for their lines. The last few games, we've seen them go back to the kid line, which I think in many respects is the right move for now. Whether or not long-term it's the right move, I, I'm still not convinced about that. You guys have had me heard me talk in the preseason about how I think the Kako and Lafreniere, based on the current personnel, deserve to be in the top six because they're clearly two of the four best wingers on the team. But there's something about putting that kid line together that, A, ignites the kids. They seem to really enjoy playing together, and and you could see it with, with the long possessions that they're able to produce. And, B, it makes the whole lineup look that much deeper. When you have those guys as your third line, and most importantly, you're playing them a lot, which Gallant has done, if you look at the even strength ice time in the last few games, I think in the Detroit game, he actually played the kid line more than any other lines at even strength. So you want to see him continue to do that if he's going to keep that kid line together and make sure that they're getting enough ice time and enough opportunity. But having them on top of having a line that has Mika Zibanejad and another line that has Artemi Panarin, it does make the Rangers look deeper and more formidable. So I could see why they want to go with that right now. The current lines, based on what I've seen at practice the last two days, are pretty much what we've seen the last few games. That would be Kreider, Zibanejad, and VC on the top line. It's Panarin, Trocek, and then the right wing spot on that second line is a little bit of a question mark. Barclay Gaudreau skated there the last two games while Vitaly Kratsov was dealing with what we've been told at least was partially the flu and partially some kind of an oral dental procedure that he had. My understanding is that it had something to do with a nerve or something like that. So Kratsov missed those two games because of this dental issue that he's having. He's ready to play. It absolutely looks like to me. He practiced the last two days. I thought he had a really good practice on Tuesday. And Gerard Gallant made a point of saying that as well, that he had a lot of jump in his game during that Tuesday practice. But based on reading the tea leaves, and listen, Gallant is never going to tell us this far in advance of a game what his lineup is going to be. But you can usually tell by watching practice He's had both Gaudreau and Kratzoff rotating in that second line right wing spot. But when we saw them put the power play units out there, Kratzoff was not included. Whereas when he's in the lineup, he usually is on that second power play unit. So that tells me that it's likely at this point that Kratzoff won't play again and he'll stick with Gaudreau in that second line right wing spot. I do think at some point on this four game West Coast swing, You'll see Kratzoff get back in there. But if I had to make a prediction right now, it does not look like he's going to play in Seattle. Then don't go writing that in stone. Maybe I'm wrong, but that's at least what it looked like to me based on the last two practices. And then you got the kid line as the third line. And then the fourth line 
it'll be interesting to see what he does with that. If, if Goudreau is on the second line, you're probably going to see Sammy Blay, Ryan Carpenter, and Julian Gauthier, who, who definitely seems to be the preference for Gallant right now over Ryan Reeves, which Gallant told us the obvious thing the other day, that it's because Gauthier brings more speed, which actually we're going to talk about with Jimmy Vesey in a minute. But if Kratzoff comes back in the lineup, you would drop Goudreau down to the fourth line, and then somebody has to come out, probably Ryan Carpenter or Gauthier. It would be interesting to see what Gallant does with that. But but those are the lines that we're looking at right now. And I, I think it's there's no clear-cut answers right now for what the best combinations are. Gallant certainly seems like he's searching for it, and obviously we're all trying to guess what it is as well. But while the Rangers are searching for that forward mix, I, the last point I want to make before we get to our interview with VC is this. To me, the best player on the team through these first 17 games and the guy who's picking up a lot of slack for the forwards is Adam Fox. And I don't think we've talked enough about this so far this season. I was thinking about it the other day, and I, and I decided to write about it. I actually had a really good, long conversation with Adam on Tuesday Wrote about that, went up on Wednesday morning, so definitely go to lowhut.com slash sports slash rangers to check out that one. Adam and I, we hit on all different kinds of topics. His dad, who was on that dad's trip last week and had a blast, it looked like, and grew up as a Rangers fan and had season tickets, and Adam talked about all the experiences that they had together, going to playoff games and, and all that sort of thing, but also just where Adam's at as far as this point in his career. It's year four for him. He's already won a Norris Trophy. He's got the big contract that he was looking for. He now has moved out of the city. He still has a place in the city, he told me, but he he was rooming, as we know, with Ryan Lindgren for years. Now him and his girlfriend have moved to Connecticut. Sounds like he plans on settling up there. And he's just, everything about this guy just seems so at ease, so calm. And he plays that way too. Keandre Miller told me this the other day. The guys in the bench almost get annoyed about it because it looks like he's playing at 50%, but it's just because he's so patient and he's reading things and understanding what's happening in the game better than most players can, and that's what enables him to make so many plays. And whether you look at any statistic, really, especially some of the advanced stuff, I mean, Fox has far and away been the Rangers' most effective player so far this season. I think he's working his way right back into that Norris Trophy conversation I think he ranks second among all NHL defensemen in points right now, and he's having an outstanding season. And I should note, of those 19 points, 13 of them have come at even strength. So I think people have knocked him in the past for saying a lot of his points come on the power play. But this year, he's been one of the only guys that's consistently producing at five on five. The Rangers are riding him. He's playing like 25 minutes a night right now. I'm a little leery of keeping that pace up for the full season. We saw last year that they played him heavily early on in the season. He, he had an injury that he suffered right before the All-Star break, and it, it lingered. I think it affected his play in the second half of the season last year, so you don't want to see that happen again. But he told me physically right now he's feeling great. I think you're seeing him, not that he's throwing big hits, but you're seeing him assert himself physically more than he has in the past. I think the play that stands out the most to me was the way that he was able to shove Nathan McKinnon off the puck in that game against the Avalanche a few weeks ago that led to the tying goal for the Rangers. So to me, he's been such a complete player for them, such a consistent force in this lineup where a lot of guys haven't been that consistent. 
So Fox, if you're looking for a team MVP through the first quarter of the season, I think he would have to be it right now. So definitely go check out that story if you get a chance. But now let's have a conversation with another player. And I want to kick it over to this interview that I did today in the locker room. You're going to hear some background noise. The audio quality might not be top notch, but I think it's plenty good enough. And I think you guys will enjoy this one with Jimmy VC. All right, so Jimmy, first off, glad uh, your face is, is feeling better. It still doesn't look great, but I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you recovered from that and hopefully, or thankfully, avoided anything too serious. Uh, feeling good, everything like that, right? Yeah, I lucked out. So, uh, like you said, it's not too bad. Um, it's kind of scary when you get hit in, in that area. Yeah, but thankfully, you're out there playing still and you, you didn't miss any time, which is kind of crazy when you think about it. But let's dive into these, these questions here. We'll start with some hockey stuff. Your favorite hockey memory, whether it's you playing, something you watched, whatever, just growing up, like, does anything jump out in your mind? Uh, I think that there's a lot of them. Or it could be NHL, too. Yeah, at this point, um, been playing for so long, so it's hard to pick one. If I could could select a few, I would probably say my days at college are some of the greatest memories I have. Um, Playing at Harvard, close to home in the Beanpot winning the ECAC championship or my junior year. So those are all great. And then other than that, um, being a part of the 2013 World Junior Team, uh, we won gold. And at that point, it was only the, we were only the third American team to do it. Um, Troach and Troobs were on the team with me. We had a really good team. If you look back at our roster, and it was uh, my first time representing my country, so it was it's a great memory. Yeah, that's a good one. That's a good one. Uh, your your biggest hockey influence, like I don't know if it was a coach or your, your dad or whoever helped you the most along the way. Yeah, my dad was my youth hockey coach um, from the age, I don't know, four or five to, to high school. So probably him. He uh, played college at Merrimack and seven years pro. Handful of games in the NHL. So uh, he was involved with me and my brother. Um taught us a lot about about hockey and uh was really still is really passionate about the game so probably my dad i know rangers fans might not like this but you're a boston guy so was your favorite team the bruins growing up did you have a favorite team or player yep my favorite player was uh joe thornton so i was a bruins fan they kind of broke my heart uh when they traded him so for a while i like was a fake san jose fan Uh but in middle school, uh, wasn't really feasible to watch 10.30 p.m. Uh, game time. So uh, kind of went back to the Bruins, and then them winning the Stanley Cup in, in 2011 was, was a big deal, uh, I guess, in my younger years. Mm. I'm a big food guy, so got to ask favorite food, either whether it's a pregame meal or off-day meal, cheat meal, whatever. What's your favorite food? Uh <laughs> A lot of people chirp me about my uh, my palate, I guess. I eat like I'm still a little kid. Um, I don't eat any any seafood, any fish. Uh, sushi is a no-go for me, so so guys usually give me a hard time about that. But um, my favorite food is chicken parm. Uh, it's big in my family. My mom makes a great version of it. Um, cheap food, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> Pizza. <laughs> uh, I love candy. 
and I'm a big soda guy, which I also get flack about. <laughs> All right, well, I shouldn't tell you we have a seafood uh, res- reservation tonight. I'm very excited to eat the seafood here in Seattle. Um, what about like like off day stuff? Like, do you have like hobbies, or even in the summer when you you know don't have to worry about hockey? Like, what's Jimmy VC doing on a day when you don't have to worry about hockey? Well, um, I love to golf. So summer, that takes up a lot of my free time. Um, I didn't play golf until I was probably 24. Uh, once I turned pro, uh, guys used to rip on me for not golfing, and uh, I got into it, and now I'm obsessed. Um, so summertime, definitely golfing. Um, in season, I love being in New York because a lot of... Uh, college buddies who are who are working in the city so i can hang out with them and take my mind off of off of the grind of the season um other than that just spending time with with family we've talked about this before i, I lived in the city for many years and now you live in this you live in the city so i'm kind of jealous because i'm in the suburbs now and not doing that anymore um let's let's do some stuff on the team uh like guys around the team uh, who would you say is the fastest skater on the team? This is, I've had this conversation with a few guys. There's a couple candidates. I'm curious who you say. I think Gauthier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he's pretty, pretty fast. Um, I mean, for his size, he's, I think he's an elite skater. That's a, that's a good answer. I've heard his name come up a few times. A lot of times the debate's been Kreider or Heedle, but Gauthier's an interesting one to put out there. Krides, I would say Krides is up in the conversation. Yeah. Philip too but and then key the my my uh my natural reaction would be go okay okay um strongest guy on the team who do you think it's a weird one uh like weight room strong yeah or or you know on the ice whatever i think in terms of physique probably revo or goat <laughs> yeah yeah goat definitely but makes on it. the ice i mean revo I think Troops is a strong guy on the ice. Lindy plays strong. So Yeah. This might be an obvious one, but is there uh, most skilled? My dad did, yeah. I think that is... <laughs> there's probably only three guys in the conversation. Yeah. Mika, Brad, Foxy. <laughs> yeah, that, that, those are good answers. Those are good answers. Is there anybody that, you like, even if you're not doing hockey stuff, like playing pool or cards or whatever, who, anybody strikes you as especially competitive? Um, yeah, I didn't re- realize this my first my first time around, but Crides is pretty competitive. He's always talking fantasy football, always playing cards. So we'll give it to Crides. Funniest. Funniest. Um, I spent a lot of time with Troach. He's a funny guy. Uh, I think Lindy. Lindy's a funny guy. A lot of guys like to uh, to give it to Lindy, so it's fun for all of us. Um, but still early in the year, so he strikes me as the guy who has thick skin. Like you can make fun of him, and he takes it pretty well. Yeah, absolutely. Guys like to uh, give it to him about his clothes. Sometimes uh, it's pretty funny. All right, this is what my editor came up with. This is the last one. If if there was a zombie apocalypse or like the world's ending. As far as who's the most resourceful, who, who you think would be the guy you'd want in the bunker with you, who would that be? Most resourceful? I would say Kreitz. Yeah. I think he's one of the more intelligent guys on the team. Well, all right, Jimmy, really appreciate it, man. Thank, Thank you. you. Yep.
we're back. Hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Jimmy VC. It's been it's been pretty cool to get to know him since he came back to the team in the last couple months. I wasn't around covering the team during his first go around, but he just strikes me as a guy who's really thankful for the second opportunity, felt like he had some unfinished business here. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, he's taken the opportunity and run with it for the most part so far this season. And I think he's been a really valuable guy for them. Also really down to earth guy, very easy to talk to. One of the guys I find myself kind of shooting the you know what with a lot of times that I'm not working on other stuff in the locker room. Got a pretty good sense of humor. Definitely seems pretty well liked by his teammates. And I really appreciate him taking some time while they're on the road. And I know different guys are going out and have different plans for this off night. So very cool of him to hang around in the locker room with me for a little bit and do that interview. So as I mentioned before, hopefully I'll be able to squeeze in a handful more quick little podcast segments like that with some players over the course of the season. And with that, let's move on to your Twitter questions. And we will start with what seemed to be the most frequently asked question of the week. This one that we're going to read comes from Dr. Handsome MD, quite the quite the Twitter handle there, who wrote, "Can you explain the cap ramifications of waving slash sending Ryan Reeves to Hartford?" So this is a topic that I see a lot of you are starting to worry about or wonder about, I should say, and it's it's becoming, I think, more legitimate of a conversation by the day. The, the short answer as far as the cap ramifications is this. Reeves is on a $1.75 million cap hit right now. By sending him to the minors or sending anybody to the minors in that salary range or higher, you are able to save $1.125 million against the cap. So basically, if you send down a higher paid guy like that that's beyond the veteran minimum or a sub $1 million salary, there's a cap as far as what you can save. So that would be $1.125 million. So basically $1.1 million dollars is what the Rangers would save and then whatever else is remaining on his salary they would be charged against the cap for that in Reeves's case they would be left with six hundred and fifty thousand dollars on the cap so the savings would be fairly significant for them especially based on the conversations that we've had about the salary cap accrual process which those of you who listen every week know we talked about at length last week with Hart Levine from Puckpedia Shaving off that $1.1 million, but keeping the cap hit of $650,000, would leave the Rangers with about $1.3 million in cap space. We know right now they're at more like $180 or so thousand in cap space. It's really tight for them right now, but sending Reeves down, or putting him on waivers at least, would, assuming he cleared waivers, would leave them with about $1.3 million in cap space. Now, if another team were to claim him, they would be claiming the full $1.75 million AAV that he has. And if that were to happen, then the Rangers would end up with 
close to 2 million in available cap space, a little bit less, but roughly 2 million in available cap space. So I kind of doubt that he would get claimed. I guess we can't rule it out. But if he were to clear in this hypothetical situation that Dr. Hansen laid out here, and he were to be sent to Hartford and the Rangers were to save that 1.1 that we talked about, that would give them about $1.3 million in cap space right now, and it would put them back on pace for about $4 million-ish through the accrual process by the time we get to the trade deadline. Now, that would be a pretty good situation for the Rangers financially, getting to that $3.5 or $4 million range, I think should be the goal for them as we look ahead to the trade deadline. That would give them the flexibility to go out and acquire a player, maybe multiple players, whatever it is that they decide that they need. And I think we all, or most of us at least, are in agreement that this roster will need to be fortified in some way to make them as strong as possible for what they hope will be a playoff push. Now, Reeves, I think, increasingly is a guy that we need to talk about because if you're not going to play him, and it's now been four healthy scratches in the last five games for him, it makes a lot of sense to consider this. I don't see how you can't. The question is, will they do it? We've talked about the value that they believe that Reeves brings, not just on the ice, which at this point clearly is diminished, And that's why he's not playing very much. But as far as the way that he fits in the locker room, the way that Gerard Gallant respects him and views him as a guy that that he can communicate messages to the players through. And listen, it may look like a cheerleader kind of thing to people when he does the Shesty release us and all that kind of stuff. But the players in the locker room do respect him, do really like him. And there's something to be said for that. But if you reach the conclusion that this guy is not good enough to be in your lineup every night. And from a strictly hockey standpoint, it's hard to justify putting him in there right now. The speed element is a real thing. Gallant, as I mentioned earlier in the show, told us that flat out this week. I was actually a little surprised because we all knew that that was the reason that he's not in the lineup, but I wasn't sure that Gallant would come out and say it. He did. So if you'd rather have a guy like Julian Gauthier, who, as Jimmy Vesey just told us, might be the best skater on the team, if you'd rather have him in there and you feel like he's improved enough defensively and with some of the other aspects of his game that he struggled with earlier in his career, if you feel like you can trust him in a fourth-line role and you're going to want to play him over Reeves, are you just going to have Reeves around to do the locker room stuff considering the cap hit and considering the flexibility that you want to have at the trade deadline. I think it makes a lot of sense. I have my doubts as to whether the Rangers will actually do it, but I do think it's become part of the the behind-the-doors conversation for them. And with each passing game, when Reeves is a healthy scratch, the question is going to become a little more prevalent. The questions are going to get a little louder about, Why are you carrying a guy with that kind of a cap hit if you're not going to play him? And right now, it looks like the Rangers are not planning on playing him. I don't think you're going to see him in Seattle. Now, injuries could happen. Things could change. Gerard Gallant was asked the other day about whether or not he values having Reeves for when the Rangers are playing a more physical team, a team that he might want to have 
Reeves in the lineup because of the threat, knowing that when he drops the gloves, there are still few guys in the league as, as good at throwing hands as he is. But that happens so rarely. I don't think that's enough of a reason to put him in the lineup nine times out of ten. So I think this is something that, that we need to talk about more now that we're seeing him not be in the lineup most nights, and it seems like a trend that's going to continue. The other thing that I'll point out here, and these are guys that we've discussed before as well, if they're going to keep Reeves, if despite the healthy scratches, they decide that they don't want to waive him, and and a couple people in here asked about trades as well, that to me feels like more of a long shot. Another team might just wait around to see if you're going to waive him, and if a team is going to make a trade to, to help you out and get him off your cap, they might ask you to attach a draft pick to him. So that's something else I think the Rangers might be reluctant to do. I wouldn't completely rule out a trade. Maybe there's a team out there that wants to get tougher and wants to add the element that he brings into their lineup. But I, I think if he's going to come off the roster, the more likely scenario is that he gets waived kind of doubt somebody would claim him and then you have to ask him to go to Hartford I'm not so sure how he would feel about that but that to me seems like the more likely path here but if you're going to keep Reeves there's only a couple other options for how you can get this roster down from 23 to 22 and make up for some of the lost time that they've really done damage to as far as the salary cap accrual is concerned number one the clock is ticking right now on Julian Gauthier He's at nine games played since they recalled him last month. And once he gets to 10 games, which he could hit in Seattle on Thursday, then all of a sudden he's back in a situation where you'd have to put him on waivers again to send him down. So if Gautier for some reason doesn't play on Thursday, I think we have our explanation. If the Rangers don't want to risk putting him on waivers, but they decide that they need to trim the roster down, you can't play him in another game because otherwise you're going to have to put him on waivers and then all of a sudden you're risking another team claiming him. And based on the fact that he's played decently well, he's had his moments for sure since they've recalled him, I think there's a better chance of somebody claiming him now than there was the last time the Rangers put him on waivers. So Gautier is a guy to monitor because, again, one more game played puts him at 10 for the season and then all of a sudden he's back in the territory where they would need to pass him through waivers in order to get him back down to Hartford. So if he plays again in Seattle, that tells me that the Rangers intend to keep him on this roster for the foreseeable future. The only other feasible option that I see, at least, beyond Reeves and Gautier, is Ryan Carpenter. This is a guy who they scratched a couple games ago. He got back into the lineup when Kratzoff wasn't able to play over the weekend He did score a goal in that game, so you kind of think maybe they'll keep him in the lineup because of that goal. But overall, I think if you're looking at the fourth line options for this team when they're fully healthy, if you have Kratzoff back in the lineup somewhere, that pushes Gaudreau probably down to the fourth line. I think Sammy Blay, I, I see some people in here have asked about Sammy Blay and whether they would waive him. I can tell you I don't see that happening. And my opinion on him is that coming off the ACL surgery that he had, I think he's been building and getting a little bit better each game. I still don't think he's 
fully at the spot where you want him to be. But I thought he, he didn't look good at all earlier in the season, and he's been better of late. And, and my indications are that the Rangers are fully committed to keeping him in the lineup. So Blay, I don't think, is an option to be waived. Again, I think it's Reeves, Gautier, or Carpenter. So if you assume Blay is on the fourth line when fully healthy, Gaudreau is on the fourth line when fully healthy, you've only got one remaining spot then between Gautier, Reeves, and Carpenter. And for the flaws that we know that Gautier has, the one thing he has over those other two guys is he's a much better skater. And we've talked about the need for speed on this team, and that might help Gautier's case. And if you're gonna, if you decide they're gonna keep Reeves, then I think Carpenter has to be the guy that you consider waving. I know the Rangers like that he can play center and that he kills penalties, but I think he would be likely to pass through waivers and if for some reason it didn't work out, you have other options like Gustav Ridal down in Hartford who can play center in a pinch for you. So Carpenter is the guy that I think when you're talking about who they could consider waving has to be in that discussion as well. But the original question was about Reeves. And again, to me, because of the fact that they've been scratching him so often recently, I don't see how they cannot be having the conversation about is this a situation that we can continue with? Can we keep this guy on the roster if we're not going to play him? And I think even Reeves, I mean, my impression of Reeves is he's a realist. And I think even he would understand if he's not playing why they might ultimately have to consider making a move like that. We'll see how it plays out. Again, I want to see if Gautier plays in Seattle. It looks like he probably is. And that would be a sign to me that they're keeping him around. And then I think if you're going to keep Gautier around, the conversation comes down to Reeves versus Carpenter. And we'll, we'll see when the Rangers ultimately decide to make that decision. But the clock is ticking. I, I already think they're dragging their feet on this. I'm surprised they've waited that long. I would think by the time they get back around Thanksgiving, some kind of decision is going to have to be either pending or already made. All right. Let's get to the next question, which comes from Kreider for MVP who wrote, should we be worried about the rest of the season and making the playoffs this year because of our slow start? Well, Kreider for MVP, I I have some good news for you. I, I don't really pay too much attention to what the playoff picture is at this early juncture of the season, but if the season were to end today, that's a conversation we can have many more times between now and April, May, but if the season were to end today, the Rangers would actually be in the playoffs. They would be the eight seed as of this recording, which is on Wednesday afternoon. So right now they're in playoff position. Now that's based on total points. I think if we looked at points percentage, it would be slightly different. But strictly based on total points, the Rangers right now are the eight seed. So even though we all feel that they have not played their best so far this season, they've still collected enough points where they're right in playoff position right now. The interesting thing to me is the way that not only the conference is shaping up, but the way the division is shaping up. I mean, we have to talk about the New Jersey Devils. I know many of you probably don't want to hear that, but the Devils are on fire. They've won 10 games in a row. And I've said this, I think, on the podcast before, To me, they felt like a team that was coming because of all the skill they've accumulated. I mean, that lineup, 
You look at that lineup and the way that they built it, I think they've done a really good job. And you've got high-end skill, obviously, Jack Hughes at the top of that list. But I think they've improved the depth up and down that lineup. The question was, can they get better defensively? And more importantly, can they get quality goaltending? The goaltending remains somewhat of a question, but it's been plenty good enough for them so far. And if the goaltending can hold up, then the Devils, to me, are a playoff team. And that sort of shakes up the whole playoff picture as far as the division is concerned, because we know the Rangers expect to be a playoff team. The Carolina Hurricanes remain, in my opinion, probably the best team in the division. And we know that the they were the team the Rangers had to go through last season. I, you know, I, I picked the Rangers to win the division, so I guess coming into the season, I kind of felt like they were neck and neck with Carolina, and obviously they limited them in the playoffs last year. So you can make a case for the Rangers, too, on paper, at least as far as what we thought coming into the season, but you've got Carolina and the Rangers, who are two accomplished teams at this point who expect to be there. You've got the Devils now all of a sudden forcing their way into the picture. The Washington Capitals have had a lot of injuries, but that's a team that in the long run you definitely feel like you can't you can't count out. Pittsburgh hasn't gotten off to a great start, but again, in the long run, that's a team you feel like you can't count out. You feel like at some point they're going to go on a run which is what they did last season in the second half. And then you got the Islanders, who are in second place behind the Devils right now and look much closer to the team that we saw prior to last season that went to -to back-to-back Eastern Conference Finals and was just a really difficult team to play against who wore you down and found all kinds of ways to win games. Last season, they went to the tank, but we know that they were ravaged by covid I was a little torn going into the season, feeling like, you know, what are they going to be closer to? But when fully healthy, they're still a formidable team. Are they a Stanley Cup caliber team? I don't think so. But are they a playoff team? Quite possibly. So right there in this division alone, you've got six teams that all feel like they are legitimate playoff contenders. The Flyers, I think, are going to fall out of it. The Blue Jackets, I think, are the worst team in the conference right now. So... The Flyers and the Blue Jackets I would put aside. But the other six teams all can look at this right now and feel like they are playoff teams. Then you look at the Atlantic. The top three teams, or top four teams really in that division, Boston, Toronto, Florida, Tampa, I think everybody would be surprised if one of those four teams didn't make the playoffs. So essentially where that leaves you is 10 teams vying for eight spots as we look ahead. And then you've got the Detroit Red Wings as sort of the sleeper who are definitely improving, still very young, but they feel like they're up and coming. So you could even maybe say 11 teams. The Red Wings to me might still be a year away, but 10, 11 teams vying for eight spots is at least at this early juncture, kind of what we're looking at. And so that does make things tighter for the Rangers. They're not guaranteed anything. They have to accumulate points to stay in this playoff picture. But getting back to what we were talking about in the first segment of the show, even though they've been so inconsistent and, and one game's nothing like the last and there's games where they dominate and don't win and then games where they seem to get dominated and somehow find a way to win, you add it all up, they still have gathered enough points to where they would be the eight seed right now in the conference and you feel like their best hockey is still ahead of them. So I still feel fairly confident that the Rangers are going to make the playoffs. 
Am I as confident as I was preseason about them winning the division? Probably not right now, especially because of the rise of the Devils and the Islanders so far this season. I think that crowds everything. But at the end of the day, I still feel pretty confident telling you guys I think the Rangers will be a playoff team. The seed, that'll be interesting to keep an eye on. But at the end of the day, You just want to get in. The way that the playoffs work in the NHL, I don't think there's a huge advantage to being the one seed or the two seed. Obviously, you like to have home ice advantage, but the way this conference looks, I think every matchup is going to be tough going into the playoffs. Because again, to me right now, there's 10 teams that are all dangerous in their own right. And any one of them would pose problems regardless of, of which team it ends up being. So for the Rangers... Of course, they want to win the division. Of course, they want to get as many points as possible. But you just want to get in. And to me, I still can sit here on November 16th and say I'm fairly confident the Rangers are going to be a playoff team. So as far as your concerns there, I, I think you're okay for now. We'll, we'll, we'll reassess as, as the season goes on. But right now, I think they're still in pretty good shape. Okay, final question comes from John... Velasso, or Vassallo, sorry, John. John wrote, saw rumors about a potential deal for Kane. It had Kako, Reeves, and a number one pick going to Chicago. Are you hearing anything on your end? John, I think that is a deal that probably just was thrown around on the internet as speculation. That is certainly not a deal that I have heard from any viable sources that is being talked about right now. There's a few reasons why I don't think that that one would work. Well, number one, as we've heard about from Hart Levine on the show last week, we talked to Jeff Merrick about it. We've we've talked about it multiple times now. If the Rangers are going to pull off a Patrick Kane trade, there's going to have to be a third team involved. They can't do it straight up with their salary cap situation, even if they got Chicago to retain 50%. That's kind of a necessity, but retaining 50% for Chicago still means the Rangers would owe $5.25 million. And even if they accumulate cap space and can get around $4 million, still doesn't add up. So you're going to need a third team to come in and take another chunk of that Kane salary off your hands. So you're going to have to throw another asset at another team, probably a mid-round pick or some kind of prospect. But as far as this trade package, number one, Reeves getting his contract off the books would help the Rangers, but I don't think from Chicago's perspective that brings much value. So I don't think Reeves is much of a trade asset for the Rangers to throw into a deal like that right now. And number two, I'll go on record saying this as just strictly my opinion right now. I don't think it makes any sense to include Capo Caco in a deal for Patrick Kane. The problem with this team right now, at least my belief, and I think a lot of people agree with me, the number one issue for this team, the number one thing they're going to want to address at the trade deadline is adding a piece to round out their top nine. Their top nine feels like it's at least one piece short right now, especially at right wing. So while adding Kane would definitely give the Rangers more firepower, you would at the same time be subtracting your best right winger on the roster right now. So while for the rest of this season, I'm sure a lot of people would rightfully argue that Kane is an upgrade over Kako, but Kane 
This would be the only year you have him. He would essentially be a rental because I don't think the Rangers will be in any position to afford him beyond this season. And you will still be at least one piece short in your top nine because subtracting Kako out of the lineup and adding Kane, well, what's your what's your third line going to look like then? Or what's the rest of the lineup going to look like then? I don't think that it necessarily solves the problem. And I also just don't think it's good business to trade a young, talented winger who you have multiple years of control over and feel like while the point production hasn't been everything you want it to be so far, I think there's been a lot of signs that he's getting closer and closer to becoming the player that you hoped he would be. We see the strength on the puck. We see the playmaking ability. These things flash almost on a nightly basis with Kako. I just don't see the sense in giving up a talented young winger, significantly younger than the guy you're trading for, who you have multiple years of control over, for a rental. The rental might make your team marginally better this season, but it still doesn't solve the issue of a hole in the top nine. If the Rangers are going to acquire Kane or any other top nine forward, I don't think you want to simultaneously be subtracting a top nine forward because that doesn't help your overall depth. Ideally for the Rangers, they can find a way to get another forward without trading one of their top nine guys right now. Financially, I get why people would put Kako in a hypothetical deal like this because you need to find ways to shave salary. But I think the best thing the Rangers can do is accumulate salary cap space as much as possible, which means getting down to 22 men and accruing every single day moving forward, at least as far as feasible. Obviously, injuries could change that, but try to accrue as much cap space as possible going toward the deadline so that you don't have to sacrifice too much. And then you're going to need a third team to take on some salary if you're going to go for a big money guy like Kane. But to me, Trading Kako in a Kane deal just does not make a lot of sense. I don't think that would be the right move for them. Again, especially because Kane would almost surely just be a rental for a couple months for this team. Whereas Kako, you have him under contract for next season, and then you still have his RFA rights beyond that. So that that's a guy that you can control for multiple years. And given the right wing depth on this team, I don't think you can go into next season Having no Kako, Kane's deal would be expired. You can't bring him back. Kratzoff is going to be an RFA. What does your right wing depth look like next season if you have none of those guys on the team? Anyway, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> Every week I feel like I say, we're, we're not going to talk about Kane this week, and he finds a way back into the show. <laughs> but anyway, I'm going to cut it off on that one. I think, I, I think we'll, I've said everything I have to say on that topic. To me, if that trade is going to happen, I think that that deal that you laid out there is probably not going to be what it looks like. All right. With that, we are going to end this episode. Quick heads up for next week. Next Thursday is Thanksgiving, so we will not be recording an episode. I think we've done this a few years in a row now. We're going to skip next week, take a week off. The team is playing back-to-back games on Tuesday and Wednesday, so that would kind of mess up the recording process anyway. And then I'm going to be flying 
actually down to Washington, D.C. to spend a couple days down with the in-laws down there. I've actually never had a Thanksgiving with my in-laws because of the craziness of this schedule, but there's an opportunity to do it with me flying back from California. So I'm going to be down with the in-laws in Maryland for a few days. The team will be coming off those back-to-back games. It just doesn't make much sense to try to do a podcast next week. We'll be back the following week. I want to wish everybody a very, very, very happy Thanksgiving. I want to thank everybody, as always, for being such loyal listeners to this podcast. It's so, so great to watch how this thing has grown and all the feedback. And I really, really appreciate each and every one of you. I hope you guys enjoy the time with your family. I hope you eat well. I hope everybody's healthy. I hope everybody is making the most of this time of year. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was a fun one. Glad we were able to have Jimmy VC on. And I will be back in two weeks with a new show. Until then, take care. I'm going to go enjoy some seafood. And I'll talk to you guys soon.